Let's pray. Father, I ask that you will help us now as we look into your word, that you'll help us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, and that by the power of your Spirit, through the truth of your word, that you will make this happen for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 13. If you are using one of the Bibles from this room, you will find Isaiah 13 on page 490. I enjoy, I enjoy many things about mission trips. Uh, one of the things that I especially enjoy about mission trips is the opportunity to interact with people from uh, people that are that are different than me. People, especially that are that are from other nationalities uh, than I am, and so I find it very helpful when I'm able to interact with those kinds of people. Uh, I find it I find that I'm able to learn a good bit about you know geography and culture and race and language and preference and food and and all sorts of things. You don't have to travel uh, very far to, um, to experience this. So if you're intentional enough, you can actually find people who are quite a bit different than you uh, very close by. So, so different kinds of people groups, different kinds of belief systems, different kinds of, uh, of you know, everything from skin color and language to just preferences. And so I would encourage you to broaden your horizons and get to know uh, as many people as possible who are, who are different than you, because I think when we do that, it helps us to understand that God is interested in all kinds of people from everywhere, and it helps us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to be reminded that God is much bigger than our small circle of things that we tend to cling to. Because one day, the Lord will be known in all the earth. All people everywhere, wherever they're from, will know the Lord. They'll either know Him as their Savior, or they'll know Him as Judge. So, in Isaiah, Isaiah is speaking to God's people, and he's speaking about God's glory, but he's not speaking about it just as something that is only for them. He's talking about it as something that is on a global scale. So he's talking to the nation of Israel, but Israel's God is actually the God of what people? Not just Israel, but all nations, right? And that was the point of Isaiah 12. So look back at the end of Isaiah 12, where we left off last week, and you see there in verse 4, this phrase, "...give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name." Make known his deeds among the peoples and proclaim that his name is exalted and sing praise to the Lord for he has done gloriously and let this be made known in all the earth. 
because the good news of who God is and what He's done is, is good news for all peoples. And this next section in Isaiah also emphasizes that same priority, that God is not just God of one nation, but for everybody. And he does it through a series of, of oracles. So you find that word in chapter 13 and verse 1. Look at it with me. You see there an oracle, or the oracle, concerning Babylon. Now what is an oracle? You guys understand what this word means? Somebody help me define it? It's kind of like a prophecy. Yeah, something that is said about, especially about a group of people. Uh, sometimes it would happen like in a, um, in a vision or a dream. So it, so it could be that, uh, that Isaiah is sort of seeing these things, you know, sort of the way that we see pictures of things in dreams. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a special kind of uh, statement about the future for some of these nations. And a lot of these oracles are heavy on what God's going to do to punish them because they are opposed to him. But every time God talks about punishment, he also talks about mercy. He talks talks about the way that he uh, offers people an escape from his judgment. So our I'll go ahead and give you what I think is the main application of all this. What I want us to do through what we're going to see tonight is to take our eyes off of ourselves and what seems to get us down or maybe even get us up on a daily basis and put our eyes on the bigness of God and God's interest in all kinds of people in all kinds of places. So to help us see this, you've got notes there in your bulletins and we're going to look at these first three oracles and there are something like 15 of them kind of right in a row. We're not going to go through all of them tonight, but over the next few weeks you'll see some of, some of the things that God says about various nations. So the first oracle, number one, is concerning Babylon. So we read that in chapter uh, 13 and verse 1. And Babylon is probably, in the Bible, whenever you read about Babylon, it is probably the supreme example in Scripture of what a nation against the Lord looks like. So Babylon actually got its start back in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. What do we know about the Tower of Babel? People were trying to build a tower there. Why? Okay, to to reach God, literally the text says to make a name for themselves. They were trying to make themselves powerful. But yeah, they were trying to build it up into the heavens. It was their way of saying we are powerful enough to either be God or at least reach God on our own. Was God pleased with that? No, so much so that he, he had told them to scatter on the face of the earth, and so he actually uh, confused their languages so that they had to scatter across the face of the earth the way that he had told them to. So that was the beginning of Babylon, not a very great start. And, and you even read about Babylon at the very end of the Bible also. So if you read like Revelation 14 through 18, Babylon is described as, as the wicked power there at the end of time that opposes God and his people. Babylon would also be the nation that would take God's people captive into exile. So we read about that over the summer, those of you that were here when we looked at Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, coming and taking God's people captive. So what is said here in this oracle about Babylon? There are about five things. We'll go through them hopefully quickly. Here's the first thing that's mentioned. 
a prediction of the day of the Lord. A prediction of this event called the day of the Lord. So let's read about this. Look down at verse 6. Chapter 13 and verse 6. Where Isaiah says, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty it will come. Therefore all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt, and they will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, with, with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. So one of the primary purposes of this day, and actually maybe we, sh- we should even ask, um, when the Bible talks about the day of the Lord, uh, typically that's a reference to, to what event or what, what kind of... Uh, the, the return of Christ, right? Yeah. When, when at the end of all things, the Lord is going to come to the earth and set up His reign on the earth. So, th- so Isaiah really is saying that Babylon's reign won't end, or Babylon's reign uh, won't last, it will end, and a better kingdom is coming in its place. And a primary purpose of this is to deal with pride. So verse 11, he's going to lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. The New Testament says that God opposes the proud. Uh, pride is offensive to God because in, in our pride, that is when we tend to take what we think is great and tell God that He's not so great. As, as though something we could do uh, is more impressive than who God is or what He could do. That's essentially what pride is. And the day of the Lord opposes that. The second thing that's mentioned here is this is this invasion from this Medo-Persian Empire. So the day of the Lord means that the Lord himself is going to return and show Babylon who's boss. But even before that happens, there's going to be these earthly empires that come in and they, and they overthrow Babylon as powerful as they may seem. So look at, look at verse 17. Uh, the Lord says, Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them, who have no regard for silver, who do not delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They will have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans, will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. Now, we also actually read about this in Daniel, didn't we? Uh, Daniel 5 um, Nebuchadnezzar's son is having this feast and he's showing off all the wealth to, to the peoples that are visiting him and the Lord shows up in the form of a human hand um, and the human hand begins to do what? You remember? Yeah, he writes on the wall and, he, and, and in that writing on the wall he, he says to Babylon your days are numbered and the Persians are going to come in and, and overtake you 
And Daniel 5 actually says that it happened that very night. So that it was an immediate kind of, of punishment. So this actually tells us something about God's, about God's authority, doesn't it? God is not just authoritative over Israel. He doesn't just rule over Israel. He rules apparently also over Babylon and apparently over Persia. And there's not a nation on earth over which God does not rule. God even rules over rulers who don't know Him. So all, the, all these kings... All, all the presidents and prime ministers and governors on earth who think they're in control of their land are powerless under God and before God, which is a good reminder for us to not put our hopes in those people. The next thing that's highlighted here is the selection of Israel and sojourners. The selection of Israel and sojourners. If you need help spelling sojourners, the word is actually there in Isaiah 14.1 to help you. So let's read those verses. Chapter 14, verse 1. The Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel and will set them in their own land and sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. What is what is a what is a sojourner? Okay, a traveler, one who goes on a journey. Um, this actually probably is a reference to of how do you remember when uh, when Israel was delivered from slavery in Egypt, and as they're leaving the land, there's there's a a phrase there in Exodus um, twelve, I believe, where it says that. Others sojourned with them, which apparently means that when Israel left Egypt, some of the Egyptians said, we're going to go with you. They said, we want to be attached to you. You know, we, we owned you, as it were, but now we want to go with you. Now, why do you think Egypt wanted to go with Israel? What had they seen? The They'd seen the plagues. They had experienced uh, the opposition that God had on them. And they and instead of being opposed to God, they wanted now to serve that God, didn't they? Uh, there's a similar phrase in Zechariah where Zechariah is talking about the future and he says in the future, you'll have tens of people who will cling to one Jew and they'll say, let us go with you because we know that God is with you. And so this is even a preview of, of how things will be in the, in the future. And, and as it usually is, this is a picture of God's mercy and how it contrasts with, with His punishment. And, and all of these truths are at the heart of Christianity. So God has created people to fill the earth with His glory and with His image. But have people succeeded at doing that? No, really, and the ultimate reason that we have failed is because we tend to exalt ourselves instead and think that we know better. And so we turn to sin and we actually become enslaved by sin, don't we? And so God mercifully sends His Son, Jesus Christ, 
who redeems God's people. In other words, he, he purchases us as his own. And Jesus did that through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. And so people now can respond to, to Christ by believing in him, trusting in him, following these, uh, this word about him, and turning from their sin to the true and living God. That's what Christianity is all about. That's God's mercy. The next thing that's mentioned here is how Babylon is compared to the fall of Satan. Babylon's fall is compared to Satan's fall himself. Because if Babylon is the supremely wicked nation in the Bible, who's the supremely wicked individual in the Bible? Satan is, right? So Satan had exalted himself, but it led to his downfall, just like Babylon had done. So, so notice the uh, comparison here. Look at chapter 14 and verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. Some of your versions might have the name uh, Lucifer there, uh, which the word is, is translated something like morning star or day star. And the statement here in verse 12, How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. So this is, this is comparing how the king of Babylon thought, well, I'll just exalt myself, I'll just become like God, and how Satan also had the same thing in mind, but were either one successful. No, of course not. And so the last, the last uh, statement in here about Babylon then is a, de- is a declaration of final destruction. A declaration of final destruction. And, and read with me some of the descriptions of this. So verse 22. About Babylon, he says, the Lord says, I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. Uh, Verse 24, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. As I have purposed, so it shall stand. And then similarly, verse 26, this is the purpose that is purposed concerning the whole earth. And this is the hand that is stretched out over all the nations. For the Lord of hosts has purposed it, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? So you and I, because we're humans, we purpose things all the time that don't come about. There are a lot of things that I plan to get done that don't get done. But think about this. Everything that God purposes happens. There's nothing that He plans that doesn't get done. So isn't it, isn't it better for us to seek God's purposes rather than our own? Because ours, no matter however noble they might be, will fail and God's do not. So we should seek His purposes. We should pursue His glory, not our own. Now the second oracle here is concerning the nation of Philistia. And again, if you need help spelling that, you can see it there in verse 29 an oracle concerning Philistia. So this is the nation of the 
of the Philistines. They are also mentioned as far back as Genesis. And a lot of times when you see the Philistines, uh, they're, they're in battle against Israel, aren't they? Uh, they're in battle against God's people, especially in Judges and Samuel. And so because of their opposition to God and His people, write this down, there will be ruin in Philistia. So verse 31 describes this well. Philistia is told, Wail, O gate, cry out, O city, melt in fear, O Philistia, all of you, for smoke comes out of the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. Meaning that the Philistines are going to be opposed from a, from a nation that comes from the north, probably Assyria. And Philistia will not be able to stand against it. However, again, there's not just judgment, there's also mercy. So there is ruin in Philistia, but there is refuge in Zion. Write that down. There is refuge in Zion. So verse 32. What will one answer the messengers of the nation? And here's what they'll answer. The Lord has founded Zion... And in her, the afflicted of his people shall find refuge. So we mentioned before that Zion is where the Lord dwells. Zion is a nickname for Jerusalem. That's where God has put his presence. It's where God intends for his people to be with him. Now for Christians, those of us who know the Lord, how do we experience God's presence now? What has he given us? He's given us his spirit. And, and where does his spirit dwell for us? Actually in us, right? And the New Testament teaches us about that. And God's Spirit in us now is for us who believe a preview, a foretaste of having God's presence physically with us forever on the new earth. And God wanted His people to experience that presence in Zion. The third oracle, the last one we'll look at tonight, is concerning Moab. An oracle concerning Moab. Now again, Moab also originates in Genesis. So if you read Genesis 19, you will read about a man named Lot. You familiar with Lot? All right. Lot um, was... Um, what? She said, I know a lot about him. I know a lot about him. That was, that's clever. Um, in Genesis 19, if you were to read about Lot you would find out that Lot's daughters actually tricked him into having children with them. And from one of those daughters uh, came the nation of Moab. And so Moab had, again, like Babylon, a very less than stellar beginning. Now, contrast that with how Israel got its start. So Babylon gets its start because they're building this tower to try to make a name for themselves. Moab gets this start because these daughters think, well, we're not going to have children any other way, so we'll use our father. How did Israel get its start? Yeah. Okay. God chose a man named Abraham and said, I'm going to make it a great nation through you. So did Israel attempt in any way, at least at the beginning, to make a name for themselves? No, they just were chosen. God just said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And yet, occasionally, 
even in these what we would think of as wicked nations, God shows His kindness to them. So again, think to what we looked at this summer about Daniel. Are there times in Daniel when God shows kindness to Nebuchadnezzar? Great kindness. Restoring him from when he was uh, acting in a beastly way. Uh, Revealing himself to him through the fiery furnace. So you see God extending his mercy to Nebuchadnezzar. If you read the book of Ruth, the whole book of Ruth is about God's kindness toward a woman who is a Moabite. So even in these wicked nations, you see God extending his mercy to those people because he is just. Now in Isaiah 15 and 16, you read about how Moab is undone. It's, it's unmade as a nation. So chapter 15, verse 1. An oracle concerning Moab. Because Ar of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. Because Kir of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. And these names, these places are just like teeny tiny villages that are around Moab. And yet these teeny tiny villages are overtaking this great place. Chapter 16 and verse 2. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. They're, they're coming to nothing. They're like birds who fly away. Moab is being undone, and yet, as Moab is undone, a Davidic king is promised. Write that in your notes. A Davidic king is promised. So look at verse 3. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon, shelter the outcasts, do not reveal the fugitive, let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you, be a shelter to them from the destroyer. Think about what's being said here. Israel is being told, the nation of Judah is being told, when when refugees flee from Moab because destruction gets so bad, take them in. Give them shelter. Don't turn them over to their enemies. Because, look at the end of verse 4, when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness In the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Doesn't that sound like the kind of king that all peoples would want to have? And the good news is that this is indeed a king for all peoples. So nations may have their own religions and they may have their own rulers. But the king of Israel is the king of the universe. And he reigns in love and in faithfulness and and with justice and righteousness. And so we should submit to him. So that even when Moab is struck down, as the rest of that chapter talks about, as they think they're so prideful and great, they're struck down. Moab thinks they're so glorious, but it fades away before the Lord in His true glory. And, and think about this for us. How foolish are we uh, to think that we should compare our achievements to the Lord's? Like, how foolish is pride? 
You know, so, so sometimes we'll think that, that's, that things we do are somehow, can somehow uh, cause God to be happier with us. You know? Like, I got straight A's. And the Lord's like, yeah, I spoke and everything showed up. Like, like what we do, I mean, even, even, our, even our good deeds uh, are, are not that impressive when we compare them to who God is. So whatever it is you, you think makes you so great, you compare it to God and His character, and we all fall woefully short. It is foolish for us to compare our achievements with God's. So, so on the one hand, I mean for this to be comforting for you, to, to show you that God is bigger than your difficulties, your challenges, your enemies, which by the way, your enemies are not other people. Your enemies primarily are sin and death. So be reminded of that and take comfort that your God is bigger than those things. But also I mean it as a challenge that we would, that we would love all peoples, that we would seek to love those who are different than us. Maybe they look different. Maybe they think different. Maybe they act different. Maybe they believe different. Maybe they talk different. Love them. God has loved all peoples. And love them most by pointing them to their true king. And that's how we can glorify God among these nations. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and how it continually points us to yourself and what you are like. And it exposes us for what we are really like. Lord, I pray you will point out to us where we tend to be prideful and we tend to, to put ourselves above others and above you. And I pray that, that you'll correct us for that and that we will uh, respond and repent and, and determine that we would seek the good of others. That we would love those uh, intentionally who are different than us and that we would point them to the one who truly has all authority over all peoples everywhere, all the time. And I pray we'll be faithful to do this. Help us as we talk about these things in small groups now, uh, that you'll show us how best to apply these things in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.